Okay, so this is episode five, Predictions and Theories, our lovely Saturday stream with you lovely Saturday attendees, commenters, and viewers. And of course, we have Ashea doing everything she can to keep things together here, so we've got a lot to talk about. This episode is directed by Matt Shackman, who did the last episode, and of course, that was a really great episode, um, a spectacular episode. I kind of doubt we'll have anything up to that level this episode. It probably won't be as spectacular, but it could be pretty awesome. We'll see. We'll we see. will see. You never know. Who it knows is, what could happen in Eastwatch? That's true. It is longer. It's nine minutes longer than the previous one, which is cool. I mean, it's always cool to have a longer episode. And these last three episodes, particular, very long, 59 minutes, 71 minutes, 81 minutes. The average being around 53, 54 means that we still have, what, 27, 70, 44, <laughs> another... Almost, yeah, like 48 extra minutes, so it's almost a whole another episode, so yeah, I counted this time. That's what I got to do. <laughs> Good but, job, Chevy Chase. <laughs> Gerald Ford. <laughs> but all that said, again, no leaks today. We're not going to talk any leaks. We didn't look ahead. I don't want, you know, my community entertainment robbed of me from me. You know, if it's, it's fun to go through the things at the same time as everybody else, and looking ahead means you just got to keep your mouth shut and can't say anything, and that's no fun. I want to experience this. Say yeah, <laughs> Shay likes it. <laughs> we all enjoy the material differently. That's a, that's one of the great things. But yeah, the trailer did not tell us very much. In general, the trailers at least have a few revealing things, but this one, I don't think it revealed much at all. I mean, very very little. It it almost matches the description that uh, HBO gives us, which is Darnaris demands loyalty from the surviving Lannister soldiers. John heeds Bran's warning about White Walkers on the move. Cersei vows to vanquish anyone or anything that stands in her way. Okay, now that wasn't a slip of the tongue. It really did say Darnaris on IMDb. They fixed it now. But at the time, I laughed out loud because it just reminds me of her father. Darn, Ares, you know, he's burning people. And now Danny's doing the same things. And then, um, but that's really not a surprise. Of course, she's going to demand the loyalty from the surviving Lannister soldiers. That, you know, that's pretty obvious. John heeding Bran's warning about the White Walkers on the move. Well, the preseason trailers made it very clear that that was going to come. John doesn't need Bran's warning. He's already yeah. worried about him, right? He's like the main guy already warning people. The big surprise here is that Cersei would vow to vanquish anything that stands in her way. That's, <laughs> that's she just rolls over and just does what anyone wants. She hasn't made a declaration like that <laughs> since last episode, you know? <laughs> no, so that's really cool that they're trying to hide it from us because we can learn things just from that fact. It almost makes it more exciting that they're telling us very little about what's coming. It almost means that they can't tell us because it's too exciting or too interesting or just they just don't want to tell us. So what we've also done, of course, is and as we've done all season long, is we've been keeping track of the other trailers, as in the preseason trailers that showed us things from the whole season. And we've collected kind of a what I've called a trailer inventory. And that trailer inventory is running very low. Real quick, can I, I want to say something here. Yeah. Uh, a couple thoughts that I have. One is in the past, I've, you know, being unsullied, I was a little more removed from the community. Yeah. And I would even avoid trailers. I kind of wanted to be coming up with things on my own, if you will. But at this point, between going to Con of Thrones and the show Passing the Books anyway, I've got a new take on things. And I've kind of joined the community. And more than ever, I understand this idea of like going through it with everyone, not wanting to see leaks ahead of time. Because it is a much more fun experience for me now than I was having before when I'm kind of involved in this community on Twitter of everyone, you know, putting their thoughts out and putting their suggestions out. And that would just be ruined if you just knew what was going to happen next. Yeah. So also doing these prediction episodes that we're doing, where like I said in the past, I was kind of 50-50 on whether or not I'd even watch the next week's trailers. But this time we're watching them, breaking them down, freeze-framing it, discussing it for <laughs> two hours. You know, it's making me think a lot about how and who and why they pick the clips to put in there and the descriptions. I'm sure they have fun with that. Like, what should we show them? How are we going to get them? How are we going <laughs> to trick them? Don't, and, and especially seeing how some other people who do YouTube videos and podcasts really break down details and look for any kind of clue that's out there from like which art director is cast and that guy was in the background of some behind-the-scenes clip with an interview of the of the lighting guy and you know, yeah. all of a sudden you know that you know brand's gonna be in episode three or whatever you know like and so i know they have to be very careful and i'm sure they probably learned over the seasons especially as the internet's got more involved in the world much less game of thrones hey 
I bet there's several people getting paid $50,000 a year, spending hours and hours picking the exact clip, the exact <laughs> statement to make for each episode. And there's and there's some evidence that they, or at least a rumor, that they filmed fake scenes to throw people off. Just oh, really? To, yeah, they like set things up. Just I don't know how true that was. I didn't really examine that rumor to see how true it was. But I believe that they would do things like that if they didn't do that specific thing. Because like you said, there it's a war of information. And yeah. there's people trying to steal things. There's people hacking HBO, for God's sake, demanding Flying ransom. drones over the There was a the rumor sites. that yeah. HBO's CEO is uh, offering like 250000 in Bitcoin to these hackers to like delay the release of this information. Like they're actually considering giving these hackers Jeez. some money to to make it work. Like, that's I think another that's one. a bad precedent. It's going to encourage other hackers. Yeah, don't, right? don't negotiate with the terrorists. But, you know, that kind of thing. But... Um, that's another rumor I didn't fully explore. I just saw the headlines like, is that really happening? I don't know. I don't care. You know, people also can <laughs> misinterpret, even if they're not purposely f- filming fake scenes, there might be scenes that just got cut. Yes. But there's still footage of that could still mislead. For example, there's a scene with Ghost that was apparently cut. Yeah. You know, yeah. and hopefully we'll see that in the, uh, you know, after season, the, the, the deleted scenes usually see the light of day. It's a good good fodder for their uh, DVDs and Blu-ray releases. So let's talk about real quick before we get into the meat of this trailer. What's left from the trailer inventory? We have the Night King looking up, you know, which was in the early preseason trailers. That could easily be this episode because we know we've got Bran and ravens and seeing the army of the dead on the march in the snow and all that. So that quite possibly is this episode. So we may we may be seeing that. And really, it's not much. It's just the Night King looking up. Like that's that doesn't. Of course, the Night King is going to be in this season. Doesn't reveal much. Are you looking under the bed? We haven't seen that yet. That one's interesting. It's kind of a confusing, like, seemingly mundane thing, but maybe it's not. Uh, Littlefinger kind of peering around a corner looking extra creepy with the light on his half on his face. You can only see one of his eyes. We haven't seen that yet, but that's also kind of a sort of a standard Littlefinger kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. We have a big one that's what appears to be Sandor drawing his sword, and he's clearly nowhere near the north. There's a Lannister soldier far in the distance. There's a box behind him. And the yeah, there's it's like maybe kind of an arena or a wide open plain or something with some shell. It might be the dragon pit. It's well, that's one rumor, but we really don't know what's going on there. And the other, there's a, definitely a trailer shot of Sandor in the snow. It seems like that's where he's going to be first, and then maybe later in the season somehow he comes to the south. So that's that's probably the most revealing yet confusing image. But other than that, we just have a bunch of John and his companions running around in the snow, which means that has to happen soon because we're running out of time and. To me, that says Danny's going to let him go. Probably this episode, especially given Bran gets this warning. And he's got to get back to the North sometime. Maybe it'll be the end of this episode. Maybe it'll be during this episode. But it feels like it's got to be pretty soon. I'm not sure, but I feel like at this point, she's not really holding him there anyway. She told him she, that he can go ahead and mine the dragon glass. Mm-hmm. Is she going to let him mine the dragon glass and still keep him there? I think <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, there yeah. at this point on his own. Does yeah, that that's sense? a good point. That's a good point. So we'll we'll get into the specifics of that, but what I want to say too is that there's there's surely some big moments in this episode that that they're hiding from us. You know, it's that they haven't shown us. They they can't do anything with Jamie or Bron without revealing that Jamie and Bron are alive. You know, yeah. if they show them either of them for a second, we'll know that Jamie's not underwater or that Jamie's Bron is you know something. It, it just it's hard for them to show us even a tidbit of that without giving a lot away. So when you add all that up, most of what's coming in episode five to seven, we really don't know much about at all. And But it does seem that they'll probably move quickly, like they have been all season. The pacing has been really fast, with maybe the exception of episode one. And I feel maybe this will be that kind of episode. Maybe this will be things will slow down a little bit as they set up for the last two episodes, which are, you know, big and long, big and long, big and long. And but, you know, I could be wrong. That's just a guess. One thing we're not going to talk about much today is the symbols in the cave, the cave, the cavern of dragon glass, I'm calling it. And that's because we have a full live stream tomorrow, Sunday the 13th, with guest Lucifer Means Lightbringer. Anyone who knows LML and his mythical astronomy of ice and fire podcast is probably feeling completely unsurprised that he has plenty to say about those symbols, their meaning. And of course, I have some things to say too. When when do I not? But Sean, let's, let's hear what you have to say about our first topic and location, which is the field of fire, the aftermath. Shea is going to pull up this image of Danny with Drogon on the hill, and she's saying, I don't want to murder, you know, you guys, whatever. Bend the knee and follow me or die. It's like, okay, well, you don't want to murder us, but you're basically saying you will if we don't, you know, follow you. Depends on how you define murder. Yeah, you know? yeah, murder, but, uh, yeah. Here are a few of my thoughts. I'm pretty confident that Jamie and Braun are going to live, and... I am kind of curious how this episode will start off. I almost feel like they might just resume right where they left off. I can see that happening. Because what makes sense to me is Tyrion witnessed Jamie's charge. Yeah. Right? 
So he knows that his brother just got thrown into the water. He could just, will probably just order Dothraki troops, go retrieve those men, go get them out of the water, quick, you know, don't let them drown, you know, Drogon, take them prisoner. Yeah, I was thinking too that Danny could just have Drogon dip his wing in underwater and you know, he could scoop just grab him out or something. He could, he could just grab onto it. Like, not yeah. scoop him, but have him have something to grab onto. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of different ways. That might be tougher to film uh, or, you know, yes, uh, CGI you're right, that you're up. Right, but, yeah. yeah. But one way or the other, Tyrion knows that Jamie just went down and is going to want to save him. Yes. And would also, I think, want to save Bronn. Hey, Bronn has saved Tyrion's life before. And that's like the immediate aftermath to think about. There's the follow-up aftermath, which is a lot of fun to think about because there's a lot of potential interactions set up here. Not just Tyrion and Bronn and Tyrion and Jamie, but we might get to Jamie and Danny. Yes, that would be an that interesting would be interaction. Very interesting, especially with Tyrion in the mix. And, and that's like a bigger one, but there's some other ones that might be interesting there. Like you can imagine Bronn flirting with Missandei, yeah. or Davos and Bronn having been on opposite sides of Blackwater Bay. By the way, I can't remember if we mentioned this, but this is the second time that Bronn has been a champion of a battle with a missile weapon. He's the, one that <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the guy to party. shoot the uh, the random arrows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine maybe Danny would want him on her side or mm-hmm. maybe she would want revenge against him. You can imagine that... Uh, you can imagine Danny being... Even if she doesn't... Dan- Danny didn't really know her dad and knows that he's a bad person. So she probably doesn't really care that much, but it doesn't mean she won't lord that over Jamie for having killed her dad. Yeah, he'll, he'll, she'll not test him with that. Let's, let's, yeah. uh, let's take a quick... Quick break here. Azor A hype, uh, super chat. Thanks, Kyle. That's uh, Kyle Foster from Azor A hype saying hello from Canada. We'll be seeing you at Dragon Con soon, buddy. He says, "Let's get a donation train started." Okay, well, that sounds good to us. Kyle lives <laughs> up to his name, also, by the way. He is. He hype. is so fired up about Game of That's Thrones. That's true. As a very positive ambassador to the fandom, no doubt. So yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of possibilities here. Um, here's another shot that Ashea is going to pull up. This shows where Tyrion's at here. This is him looking pretty unhappy as he walks through this field of ash. By the way, shout out to Watchers on the Wall for some of these stills. Some of these are our own images that we pulled with our own screen caps, and some of them we grabbed from Watchers on the Wall, so very much appreciate Watchers on the Wall's fantastic coverage of Game of Thrones all year round, not just during the season, but during the season, they particularly kill it. So we're uh, very happy to have their help. Um, You know who else is awesome? Who? Game of Owns. Game of Owns is awesome. They're so <laughs> awesome, sometimes they have awesome guests. <laughs> <laughs> Sean was on Game of Owns this past Sunday. If you all missed it, definitely check that out. They had some great conversations. One thing they do on their show is they invite their audience to give Owns. Yeah. You know, basically their favorite thing, Own to Braun for shooting down Drogon or whatever. And uh, and those fill my, my feet on Twitter. I, I really appreciate <laughs> that. Super chat from Dorn is Dan. Will Tarly bend the knee or try to lash Danny and her dragon? I think that's a if, if they want someone to kind of set the example for for standing up or to have Danny like burn someone to show what happens to those who defy it. I think he's a really like he's my top pick for that. Yeah, for being the he's my like, worry of the week. I, I can't yeah. switch sides again or like I committed to this. I'm not going to you know it would ruin Sully the name of my house and he's really cares about that so much. So I could see Dickon being like, all right, well I'll bend the knee. I'm not. You know, after seeing what he does to her father. Yeah, I could see that father. going either way, too. I, I do feel like Randall is not the type to just keep flipping sides. It was a struggle for him to decide between oaths and go with the Lannisters in the first place. Mm. And now that he's done that, I think he'll now have to switch again to this, uh, you know, an even more foreign character. You know, someone who, I guess he did side with the... Targaryens in the first place mm. in the original war. Maybe that yeah. makes it easier. I, I've thought a lot about which way his character might go. And let's say that he doesn't. Say say that he's resistant or stubborn to Danny, And say he gets killed because of it. Yeah. Then what does Dickon do? I, I Part of me feels like... He, 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 yeah, he's got the same choice. He's either burns or, yeah. or, or submits. I think he probably submits. Like I don't think he would just willingly die like his father. Maybe, but here's, here's some thoughts... Yeah. If you just think about it for a second, theoretically that makes sense. But it's his dad. You just killed my dad. Still, yeah, it's still his death, though. Yeah, I guess so. But most people are going to when it's their choice between death and bending the knee. He doesn't have another choice. He can't just get mad and be like, "You killed my father." Like, what good is that going to do? And he's going to know that. Like, fear is going to generally be more powerful than stubbornness when your stubbornness is so clearly going to get you nowhere. 
like Randall doing it is one thing, but someone else immediately doing the same thing right after seeing that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I can buy that. But especially I mean, considering the personality of... we've seen of him, he seems a lot meeker. You right. Know, he's and not... that, that's the one thing I think might have going for him is he might not really like his dad that much in the first place. They've kind of made his dad out to be a bit of a jerk. He literally was going to kill his own son, Sam, if he yeah. didn't join the wall. And we saw the moment where Jamie and Bron were like, your dad's not around. Come on, we can talk. You know, it's cool. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if he necessarily wants his dad to die, but it may be as a part of him. is like, OK, now I can be my own man. You yeah, know, so. yeah. So another super chat from Snow in Winterfell. Thanks there, Lord Mark of House Joseph. He says, everyone seems super sure that it was the Hound in that trailer shot, but it's very possible and more likely that it was Braun. You know, I haven't considered that it was Braun. It really it really looks like Sandor to me. Like, the body is too wide to be Braun, but it can be, you know, those trailer shots can be misleading. They can, the angles and all that. So, yeah, we'll just have to see. That's a, that's a totally valid uh, theory there. Um, we'll, uh, nothing to do but uh, sit and wait on it, though, I guess. It's not much we can really say besides... Uh, I did think without idea. any other outside influence, when I saw it, I thought it was Sandor. And then almost everyone else that discussed it also thought it was Sandor. That doesn't mean that it is, but it does make me lean toward it more, certainly. Super chat from Arab Aaron Habig, or Habig. Thank you, Aaron. She says, for talking about Dickon. Thanks for all you do. Well, we appreciate that very much. And there's a smiley face there, too. Thanks, Aaron. Yes, we, we definitely were excited to talk about Dickon, and we're glad we could take care of that for you. Right. Uh, as long as we're talking about that, by the way, I, I hope his character gets featured even more because we know him as an actor from Black Sails. Yeah. And he's really cool. He did a great job in that he show. Did. And uh, I also like the idea that even as we close in on the end of Game of Thrones, it, new characters can still come about and yeah. be developed and have an impact. They kind of need, you know, it's one of those things that the book masks a lot of these things because there's so many characters. But the show has a more limited cast. And sometimes you can narrow things down based on who there is, right? Like <laughs> if, if Randall is dead and Dickon is dead, then who is in charge of the Reach, right? You know, yeah. I mean, like, Dickon would kind of be de facto in charge because House Tarly was kind of leading the way. And that's kind of what, that's basically our same theory with, with Littlefinger and Bronze Jan Royce. It's like, well, why is Bronze Jan Royce getting lines? And we've been predicting Littlefinger's going to die. Ah, that all fits together because they can give the lines to that. Same thing with Tormund. Like, we'll be predicting Tormund to live for a long time because there's just no other wildings with names, right? right. And, and that's a kind of a meta-analysis that seems to work pretty well. It does also, the idea that Dickon could become more central adds hope that some other wildling could become more central too. Yeah, I don't know if I want that because it might mean Tormund's death. But yes, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. I agree that it would be cool to have more wildling characters, more Dothraki characters, but I understand that they don't for time constraints. Yeah. But I, I just it's something I would like, not something that I'm mad that they don't have. Another note I want to make, I talked about this last episode, the idea that they have a limited cast. Yes. Yeah, they've gone down from 70 characters to 40 characters. <laughs> and it's funny to say that it's, it's limited. really limited. Yeah. For most shows, it's gigantic. It's just, if you compare it to the books, it's it's not nearly as gigantic. But that's still, the book cast is just insanely large. So there's a lot to think about with this immediate aftermath and what they're going to do. I, I suspect that most of the soldiers will just bend the knee. They're not going to just, they're, like we said, they're not like necessarily super loyal to House Lannister or even to House Tarly. They're... People, like we saw in Arya's scene, you know, they they have their loyalty, but they're not willing to burn on principle, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> when, you know, when faced with a decision like this, they're gonna, most people are just going to be like, yeah, I guess I'm bending the knee here. They may not take that oath as seriously as they would one that they, well, they definitely don't take an oath like this as seriously as they one that they freely give. Like the oaths given to Daenerys and Jon for, by, you know, Masande and Davos. Those people, like, this is so much different in terms of, how much you can count on these people but still the idea that they would just all be like no we're not following you i just i don't see that happening you yeah. know maybe a few a few surely and maybe randall that it may depend also on what the leaders do yes i don't know if the leaders will be handled publicly in front of the rest of the soldiers or not they might be dealt with separately right yeah. but if the leaders are in front of everyone else bending the knee like if let's just say jamie and randall and dickon are in that crowd that jamie's addressing and they bend the knee well then everyone is instantly bending the knee after that right <laughs> yeah if they don't bend the knee maybe they get burned in front of everyone and then everyone's okay i'll bend the knee but maybe they just get held and secured and taken somewhere else and then she addresses them in separately and whether or not randall bends the knee she still can get them in to bend. yeah yeah Super chat from Nancy Groth. Thanks, Nancy. Trailer shot of Beric with Flaming Sword. Yeah, that's one that... Oh, yeah. See, that's... I didn't forget that one. That He's really bumbled up in that one. So I just... And, and we, we see another trailer shot with him, with John, with his sword of fire as they're fighting the undead. Those are probably related. And given that he's bundled up in the shot where he's just doing his sword, I feel like that's in the north. I feel like it's coming with John. So I feel like that's all part of that same general 
selection of northern action scenes that's coming that John and Barrack will be involved with. So I think those are all tied together. So that's kind of, uh, I didn't mention that one specifically because I think those are all in a group. Basically what I mean when I say there's not a lot of trailer shots that we haven't seen that reveal stuff, mostly I'm talking about the South. Yeah, that's true. And the North is a lot of trailer shots. They're, even though they all kind of involve the same thing, well, they seemingly involve the same thing. John and his companions running around in the North and maybe fight and fighting the undead. Like, I don't know how connected all those scenes are, but they seem connected. <laughs> they're, so, they're at least connected to the general plot line of the Night King and the, and the invasion of the White Walkers and the Whites. But yeah, as far as what's going on in the South the rest of the season, that's the part that's really hidden. Other than this Sandor slash Braun shot and, you know... That's it. That's really all we have. Yeah. There's Besides... no more shots of Euron. There's no more shots of Kyburn or... Exactly. Nothing. So we have... The, like the other shots I mentioned were other things at Winterfell. We had the Bran... The Arya thing. We have Bran like looking down and with Maester Walken. And we have Arya looking under the bed. Littlefinger looking around the corner. Those things. That's it. Those are all northern things. So the, what's happening in the rest of the season in the south, they're really keeping it hidden. And it might mean there's not a lot of it. It might mean that there's just a lot of scenes in the north and less in the south. You know, and they're going to finish resolving things in season eight. Because I think you and I agree that the South is not going to be resolved this season. Yeah, we were just talking about that. Chances are low that the end of this season is Cersei's defeated and Danny rules Westeros, right? That's probably, if you thought about it at the beginning of the season, you wouldn't have come to that conclusion. Given that there's a whole nother season, how can they remove all those characters and all that drama and still fill up? Even though next season is only going to be six episodes, they're going to be hour plus episodes. So how are you going to have six hour plus episodes that are just battles with White Walkers? You know what I mean? There's got to be more to it than that. It's too expensive for them just just to have six episodes of nothing of battle scenes. Like yeah. Those things are as, as great as their budget is. They can't just do that constantly. <laughs> well, maybe they can because it'll be the final season and they've just saved up all this money and they're really... But still, there's got to be... I agree with you. It can't just be all action scenes. It's just nothing but war against the White Walkers. There's got to be other things. Super chat from Luna Acosta. It's 2 a.m. here in the Philippines, but I'm still wide awake just to listen to this stream. Love you guys that much. I can't wait to see Sean dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we still, uh, we still need to get a little more people in the stream to get Sean to dance. But maybe, you know, we always have our largest attendance towards the end of the season, so maybe it'll happen then. We can do it all at once. A big blowout, a big final season finale slash Sean dance. <laughs> you know, I've got some friends that are amateur filmmakers, and Shay can do some editing. You know? <laughs> maybe this won't just be me on a cam goofing around. Maybe I'll get a, a video produced. <laughs> yeah, Dirty Dancing by Sean. That's without the dirty. No, no, it'll be dirty. Oh, okay. Well, we love you. <laughs> we love you too, Luna. Thanks very much for the support. And we are so happy that we're keeping you up late. Because <laughs> that's fun. We like staying up late too. Yeah, and it was interesting about that Tyrion walking through the ash shot too. I wanted to go back to that briefly. This is like, when is he doing this? Did he rush over to like make sure Jamie was okay and then take a tour through the ash? Like what's... It's, it's, it's the timing of that. It's a little peculiar to me. I wonder... Yeah, like you'd think that as the second the battle's over, he just wants to make sure Jamie's okay. Maybe he's walking through the ash towards the shore, but he didn't look like he was hurrying. I mean, it's just a still. So I think tell. the almost immediate thing is he orders troops over to to get Jamie. They pull Jamie out. The battle, you know, comes to a conclusion. There, here yeah. and there, there's still going to be some action, some sword fights, but yeah. you know, once it becomes clear that Jamie is captured, then they're going to round troops up, put out fires, deal with Drogon's spear. Then Tyrion can kind of assess what's going on. You know, it, he may get Jamie saved, but he might not necessarily be right at his side. They may like hoard a Dothraki, may gather him up and deliver him to, to Cersei, and Jamie might not be part of that. But he will still want to assess the damage. You know. Mm, okay. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. That makes a lot of sense. And in fact, that was something that I noticed when we watch. If, if you guys are like us and you watch the making of the loot train battle, you saw there was one shot where there were just film workers there. Film workers, what I call them, just. People working on the show, <laughs> throwing ash around on the ground, showing, you know, it was fake ash, and they're showing, and that was aftermath stuff, and we hadn't seen that yet. So that's that's what we're about to see here at the beginning. Yeah, really uh, hard to predict what's going to happen with Jamie. Like you said, the the whole concept of how Danny will react is really tough because she's flat out said Ares was evil. Her father was evil. So on one hand, she might be okay with Jamie killing him, but not okay with. She's going to maybe want to question him, see how he answers it. If he yeah. answers it like... He was going to blow up King's Landing. You know, he was going to kill everyone. He's a terrible king. You know, like, I know I took a vow, but I took a vow to the people as well. There's a way for him to talk his way out of it. You can imagine Varys sticking up for him there, too, right? Yeah. you Varys made a similar argument earlier, right? That's a good point, although Varys won't be there for the the initial conversation. True, true. 
Um, I wonder if it'll get delayed till they're back at Dragonstone, though. I wonder if we don't see, even if it's maybe a little contrived or staged, I kind of expect Danny on her throne at Dragonstone with Braun and Jamie in front of her. That's possible, yeah. We certainly have, you know, there's certainly trailer reveals there will be shots at Dragonstone. Quite a bit there. We have Tyrion and Varys talking to each other, and Varys says you have to find a way to get through to her. That could, this could re, re, uh, relate to how she dealt with the prisoners, maybe. Or how she dealt with Randall Tarly or somebody. Because the battle itself, as we pointed out, she wasn't a maniac just trying to burn everybody. She certainly burned a lot of stuff. But she wasn't just trying to slaughter all the troops and just burn everybody. She took, she mostly targeted gear and created a wall of flame for, for them to not be able to run away from. So they could be captured afterwards and be forced to submit and all that. So... It kind of says, it kind of ha- sounds like something else happens in the aftermath that maybe starts this conversation. Because I don't think that just the way the battle went is enough for Varus to be concerned like that. Yeah. I think there's got to be more to it. I think it could be that maybe if she burns Randall Tarly or, and or other troops that don't bend the knee, that might be something that Tyrion and Varus are like, geez, man, you know. Or maybe even after this battle, she still wants to burn King's Landing. Maybe this like boosts her confidence mm. in her. See, I knew I was right. I'm going to ride out with the dragons again. You know, like, oh, yeah. come on, you know. Or maybe she burns the rest of the food. <laughs> She's like, let's get rid of the rest of this. Dornish Dan, Super Chat. Who accepts Cersei could Virus be serving if he is a traitor? The list of possibilities is quickly diminishing. Well, I, I do have one theory on that that I pushed forward in the book to show episode. It's possible. I think it's a long shot. But if the Golden Company comes into the show and they are, of course, um, you know, a place for exiles. Now, if Gendry is with them and Gendry... Is this technically could have a claim to the throne? He's the son of Robert Baratheon, and maybe you know. And if you think about how similar Aegon the Sixth is to Gendry, there's a lot they have in common. They were both have that sort of Varus ideal of being raised, not brought up, not being brought up to think that kingship was their right. It was something that they earned, something that they deserve, rather than or something that they earned, rather than something that they just were born having like da- Daenerys's attitude right so it's a very it's a very contrasting attitude like I want to be like John John was, was say, elected that's a king John also yeah. exactly he was a bastard who never aimed to be king who you yeah. know no it's clear that he didn't aim to be king nothing he's done reeks of ambition whereas Daenerys is, has plenty of ambition and you know expectations you know she believes this is hers um she's doing a lot of things the right way but doing a lot of things the wrong way so yeah so I think maybe there's a long shot possibility that especially with the Iron Banks backing that Gendry becomes a claimant, and that would be someone Varus could support. Like, if anyone, that would be the one that fits, because Varus's ideals line up with Gendry's really well. I, I love that line of thought, although it's, I think, a little different than the question he's asking. Not who he might end up supporting, but who is he serving? If he's uh, betraying Danny, for the sake of who is he betraying them? I see what you mean. He, well, Varus could be keeping his options open, but I think right, you're right. That's I think, what I think. It, I think it's more likely that he's not serving anyone right now and then he would flip to gendry if that even happens yeah. um but it, it, they're certainly pushing it a little bit you know virus bringing things up that he was worried about they're happening so it could, could get really interesting we could see some internal divisions we have a question here from nicole white that i took in advance where has Varus been who has he been talking to we didn't see him last episode in either dragonstone or near the blackbird yeah he doesn't usually travel with the army he wasn't there with Tyrion, so he's back on dragonstone and that's a great question it's part of why we've been suspicious of him all season because he doesn't seem to be doing much at all he, he's not sending out spies because he can't he doesn't have access to his little birds anymore he's really yeah he's not doesn't seem to be have an obvious current role he has a role in the administration of the future. Like, you can see how he would have a role with Daenerys once the Seven Kingdoms are settled. But right now, yeah, it's kind of like... Uh, Let me tell you what I like to think, by the way. In the same way that a few times we've seen sort of the day-to-day, like Sam cleaning up chamber pots in Old Town. Yeah. There's probably a lot of tedious work to what Varus does. And <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. exciting to show it to us. That's but, true. But think he might literally have to be gathering and training you know ravens to send right now like he's got limited resources he doesn't have a maester to work with so he might just be spending all his time like writing just it takes time to write to even getting scrolls he's i can imagine he's doing some logistical stuff to keep his plans together to keep communications together snow and winterfell says i remember davos told gendry to go this is a super chat by the way i remember i remember davos told gendry to go to king's landing as the gold cloaks don't know his face wouldn't he have listened to the guy that saved him yeah probably i think he probably may have initially gone to king's landing uh, as as he said, he might just be there chilling, but it's not a sure thing. 
And there's a lot that's happened at King's Lynn that might have made him want to leave. You know, Cersei taking over would be alarming to him because that's the person that was after him. He might be like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be here anymore because he can't, he maybe can't be sure. And he does look like Robert. And I don't know, that might make him nervous. There's reasons he might leave that they could give us that are, that would make sense. Even if he wasn't nervous about it, it's really easy for them to fix this with a line of dialogue, right? Say he shows up with the Golden Company and Davos is like, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, I went to King's Landing like you told me. And these men come and... Say I can join their army, and so I did, you know. So. Yeah, they needed a blacksmith. It also matches the book story a bit of uh, Duck, uh, Sir Duck of, of uh, what's his last name? Uh, Raleigh. Raleigh Duckfield, yeah. And Because he was a blacksmith who had to leave the Reach in a hurry and ended up with the Golden Company. So, you know, of course, Gendry isn't from the Reach, but close enough. Another possibility for Gendry is just, you know, the Stormlands interestingly enough, are the kingdom that has been discussed the least. Like, they've been just kind of sitting there. Storm's End has been sitting there. For all, for all we know, there's still Stannis' garrison there. It seems very unlikely. It's probably been cleaned out, and it's probably a Lannister garrison there. But hey, they didn't, they didn't bother with Dragonstone. I don't know if maybe they won't bother with Storm's End either. It is a contingency that, that I've considered playing Littlefinger's game, you know, trying to think of all the characters and where they're going <laughs> and where they might be going. Fight every it, battle at once. Yeah. It seems unlikely to me that this ends with Gendry on the throne. Yeah. Even though he might have a claim, it I seems agree, like yeah. he's been gone for too long and too many other characters have been built up too much for suddenly that to be the way things pan out. But what would make sense would be for him to be the lord of the Stormlands. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He mm-hmm. he also has a right to that and he could swear to Danny or John or whoever. Absolutely. It's a way they could bring his character in and he could be legitimately important if you will but not disrupt the other ongoing plot lines absolutely i definitely agree with that there's a lot of ways they can use gendry and we're excited to find out what it is because we've been <laughs> we've been anticipating him for so long now and it's like apparently he's part of this big end of season things that they've been hiding from us and that's cool because he's yeah there's so many possibilities I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with him it's been we've been waiting a while for gendry to return um okay let's go to dragonstone there's there's um this is, of course, well, I guess we've kind of already been to Dragonstone. We're talking about Tyrion and Varys' scene. But more importantly, it seems that Jon witnesses Danny return. I think that's what we're seeing in that trail. I think that's what it's revealing because Danny's wearing the same outfit she was in the battle with. And then later she's added like a red cloak to that, to that ensemble, which she didn't have in the battle. So Jon, in the trailer, Jon kind of watches Drogon fly up. And then Dro- Drogon is like roaring right in his face. And Jon seems unintimidated, but it's almost like either... Maybe maybe Drogon's just a little cranky because he had to fly all that way on his damaged wing. Or maybe Danny is just feeling, like, powerful after killing all those people and winning that battle. And she's a little drunk with power and she's intimidating John. Maybe she's about to let him go and is like, but remember, <laughs> I, you know, this is just, just before you go, remember that I have these dragons and that I'm in, I'm in charge here. Maybe she's about to give him a ride. That would be something, <laughs> yeah. So I don't think there's much to, I don't think she's, like about to like eat John or oh, like, yeah. I don't think she's, I think it's, but it is, you know, it, it might just be one of those trailer things where they're like, whoa, what's happening? It'll surely be symbolic. We yeah. may not quite interpret this symbolism yet, but it'll surely be symbolic. I totally agree. Later on, this seems to be later on anyway, is we got a shot of the painted table again, which I love seeing the painted table. Always looks awesome. I love the painted floor too. This is basically team Danny with John and Davos at the painted table. So we have this, yeah, this awesome painted table shot here. And now look closely where the armies are. You can see the Unsullied army there in the Riverlands, kind of crossing over through the west. You can see the the Wolfhead armies at the wall. And you can see Viserion and Rhaegal in the Vale, which I'm not sure if that's just the dragon pieces are sitting there or if we should be like, oh, are those dragons going to the Vale? I don't know why they would go there, but that might be part of Danny. Intimidating Jones, you're like, yeah, this is, you know, that the kingdom swore to you, but they're mine. <laughs> I don't know about that. Like, just sending the dragons alone, there's no, like, other army piece. And just sending the dragons alone would be kind of weird with no riders. Like, so I think that's just, I don't think there's much there, but I wanted to point it out. Maybe the dragons are headed to the Iron Islands. That's the wrong, totally the wrong direction, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. They would be going straight west, not north. That's The veil is due Yeah, the veil is north, north of Dragonstone. Right, yes, yeah. it just doesn't... I don't know. I think this, they're just pieces. Yeah, if she's giving John a ride up to, to, the, to the wall or to Eastwatch or to... It would be northward oh, wow. for John to go back home. Like I didn't think about that, her taking him there. Wow. Yeah. And that would also let the people in the north see the dragon. They might be a little more understanding of John bending <laughs> the knee if they, just to see, if they could just see the dragon. Yeah. So this is where we get one of the voiceovers during the scene. John is sweeping his hand over the wall as he's saying, Bran has seen the Night's King, blank and blank, and he's reading a Raven Scroll. 
So that's pretty clearly that message that in part of the description, John heeds Brand's warning about the yeah. Ice King. So that's, this all ties together so clearly that I, I don't, I'm not really willing to think about it in another way. I think it's so uh, straightforward. So John is successful in convincing Danny, or this, this message helps convince Danny to, you know, this is time to let John go do his thing. And But will she send anything with? Will he take all the dragon glass? Is he going to have ships of dragon glass going north? There's a lot of ways for this to play out. And we don't know whether in the meantime... John will get to like have more close-ups with dragons. He'll get closer to Rhaegal. Maybe there'll be some sort of interaction there, or whether, yeah, like you said, Varus. Whether Varus and Tyrion will interact with John before he leaves and have things to say, or whether they bring Jamie there and or Bron. Bron less importantly, but still that's important. But you know, if Jamie's there, then what would John say to Jamie? You know, would that happen? I kind of kind of doubt it because it's one of those things, just like Winterfell. Not a lot of time to have all these one-on-ones. Yeah, John and Jamie having interactions is another thing we haven't seen since season one, <laughs> episode one, I think. Maybe, Maybe it two, was two, but yeah. yeah but and and on. it was an interaction where John was still kind of naive about what he was doing, going to the wall. You know, he was a little more sold in this idea there being monsters and barbarians that he was going to protect everyone from. Yeah. Once he gets there, he kind of sees the reality of it. But Jamie knew the reality of it and kind of teased him about it a little bit. But now John's going to come back and like, yeah. There really are monsters, buddy. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> okay, big super chat from Amanda Mitchell. Thank you very much for this. It's a two-part question. We'll be happy to do both parts here. Knowing Kyburn and Cersei's track record, do you think the scorpion arrow is poisonous? I don't. I don't think it was poisonous. Apparently, there's a lot of scorpions being made. Kyburn says that he's got all the blacksmiths in King's Landing working on it. I guess they only took one with them for the loot train, or maybe they were spread they only out had one column. Yet, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But the poison, I, I kind of don't think so. First of all, there's no guarantees that this poison, like these poisons that are designed for humans, would work on a dragon. And how would Kyber know what poisons would work on a dragon? Plus, you need such a higher volume of the poison to tip on this giant arrow. And just, I know the show cheats on logistics sometimes, but just thinking of the logistics of having enough poison in all the right places for these scorpion I, arrows, yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of friends, you know, who love Game of Thrones. I'm sure a lot of you do. And it's like, you know, almost every day I have a bunch of conversations with people at work and <laughs> yeah. people in my community. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is a question that's come up a lot that I tend to think no. I tend to think not for a couple reasons. One is, like you said, is that what poison works on a dragon? The same poison that works on a person might not work on a dragon. Also, a poison that might work on a person, you might need a lot of it to work on a dragon. You know, like I could probably put a dab of... Clorox bleach on my tongue, and it, you know maybe it would hurt my tongue or stuff. But I'm not going to die all of a sudden. Does that make sense? Yeah. It would take it takes a certain amount. The and dose makes the poison, not and the, a dragon is so humongous, you would yeah. need more. Assuming it even the same poisons that work on people work on dragons at all, then you have to have poison. It's not like it's not like you just have one bolt and it's poisonous, and you shoot the dragon and now you poison it. But I mean, Bron had took two shots right at a dragon who wasn't suspecting it at all. And, and maybe got a little lucky also yeah, yeah. and almost died doing it, right? Yes. It's, so you can imagine they might need scores and scores of bolts and it might only get one or two hits. Mm-hmm. And I think really what they want to do is just hit the wing to bring it down. They're that, not, yeah. they're not ex- even expecting to kill it. They just want to bring it down. So all the poison they would need would be maybe difficult to get. Then they have to distribute it among all these blades. Now it starts to become dangerous for everyone who's dealing with this, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, In the and, book, Tyrion makes a big deal out of tr- having his... Having uh, telling his captains to train in the Battle of Blackwater, how to, to make sh- to have the men practice with empty wildfire canisters. And he's like, anyone who drops one, remove him from duty and give him a different job. You know, just be very yeah. careful. And it it would be that same. It wouldn't be quite as bad because wildfire dropped is a lot worse than just poison on the ground. But still, it would be similar. And that's just a really you know dangerous, probably expensive substance. In addition to those factors, there still is the fact that it's it creates some writing problems. You know what I mean? I I think it's better for them to just ignore it. Than to have it's having these scorpions in the first place. Okay, that's a threat to the dragons, a new challenge for Danny. Adding poison to it might tip the scales too much. You yeah. know what I mean? And, I think uh, the I think the, the name scorpion is throwing people off a little bit too because yeah, that's not a term that Game of Thrones invented. That's an old. It's a term for it's like a Roman ballista a scorpion because it, it was sometimes called a Scorpio rather than scorpion. And it's yeah, it's an old thing. It's not a Game of Thrones word. So I can see that. No, that's that's kind of confusing. The word scorpion it implies poison. But yeah, yeah. And uh, even that doesn't necessarily have to imply poison. Every snake isn't poisonous. Right, and right. even ones that are poisonous, some of them are poisonous in a way that, like, 
gives you a little infection, but it doesn't like kill you instantly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Also, we Same see thing Drogon. With scorpions. Yeah. scorpions aren't all deadly poisonous. And we see Drogon return to Dragonstone, which means if there is a poison, it's either really slow acting or not very strong. Anyway, I, I think that if there's a, I, I'm pretty down on the possibility. Let's let's move on. Her second part of the question is. Will John train Danny to fight? I'd love a sparring scene next episode. Love watching you guys and Ashea's behind the scene magic power. Yes, it is magic power, isn't it? <laughs> I see almost 500 people in uh, watching live right now. Nice. Thanks very much for everybody for showing up. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. I wonder has 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 Amelia Clark filmed action scenes in other movies that she's done? You know, she's been in Terminator and things like that. I don't know if she's because if she's filmed some like action sequences and stuff like that, it might make this a little more likely. But I'm guessing no. I'm guessing that even if she like gets Widow's Whale from Jamie, <laughs> that she's probably just gonna you know I don't need hand to hand combat. I got a dragon. That's all I need to do. That would be cool. That'd be a cool way for them to like bond a little more. I will say. I imagine there are a lot of people who would be big fans of it, and maybe it would be a cool way for them to bond, but I don't, I would be disappointed in it. I, I feel like the idea of her sword fighting is is unnecessary. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I, I was disappointed when we saw Yoda flipping around and back <laughs> playing around with a sword. To me, that's like so beyond what Yoda's worried about, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he can like lift spaceships with his mind and see the future why is he like fighting someone with this knife you know what I mean? it's just like it's like if obama went to went, charged into battle with a pistol like it's not what you someone of that level of responsibility and power doesn't do that you know? yeah and and her counselors are not excited about her putting herself in danger at right. all too like Tyrion was like no you're not getting in front of this you're not getting in front of that um i think yeah they're more likely to push her away from that sort of thing by the way, uh, this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but it's a thought I wanted to share. I reminded myself when I brought up Star Wars there. I'm a big Star Wars fan, and one reason I like it is because they've created so many bits of iconic imagery in our culture now. You know, yeah. even someone who hasn't star seen Star Wars still will recognize Darth Vader's helmet. And yeah. even, even, by the way, not just visual things like that, but the sound of a lightsaber or whatever. You oh, know? yeah. And sound I, of a TIE fighter. And yeah. I... I'm sure Game of Thrones is getting there. We're still kind of in the middle of it now. We'll know better as time passes and I might have a skewed perspective because we have all these maps in our house, you know. <laughs> but I feel like the image of Westeros is going to become an iconic thing in culture. And I think they're kind of pushing that in the show more, too. We keep seeing it on, on the Cersei's floor. And the, oh, yeah. You know, and, uh, and I think it's, one, I think it's probably a good thing for the audience of Game of Thrones and this world to have some geographic perspective. But I think the more they show it to us, the more it's going to become an iconic image in culture. It makes sense. I agree. I, I totally agree that, that Game of Thrones is, is in that, you know, rare category of an up-and-coming... It's funny to say up-and-coming when it's so huge, but up-and-coming, like, really long-term fandom. You know, like yeah. Star Wars, Harry Potter, something like that. It's not to that level, to be clear, but it... It might get to that, you know, in the long term. It's a little, it's a little bit less inclusive. The fact that we're thinking about it after, you know, five or seven years of the show. I guess the book's been out for twenty years, but yeah. still, Star Wars has double that I mean, time and material. Yeah. It's know? less inclusive because it's, you know, all the sex and violence means it's not as open to children. Yeah. So I don't know that it can ever get as. It's big closer as those. to Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. Um, okay, so let's talk a little more about what's going to happen at Dragonstone. Certainly, the meeting at the painted table is a big thing, and we know that Varys and Tyrion have a conversation about Danny. There's a lot of other possibilities that could happen there, but that's all they're showing us. Do you have any sort of things that you would really like to see or think that we will see that, that could come from those scenes? I don't know if this is not something I would necessarily like or expect, but something to consider is as prisoners, this is bargaining power with Cersei. Mm. Cersei has Yara and Ilaria, yeah. and now Danny has Jamie and Bronn. I don't know if those would be even trades. I don't know if either of them would be willing to make a trade Probably of that not. sort, but it's yeah. a thing to think about. Yeah. I see uh, Sarvesh in the chat says the Iron Throne is kind of like Darth Vader's helmet in terms of dragon. That's another yeah, good right. right. Danny's throne, hair. The symbol. Yeah, Danny's hair. Danny's hair is another one. <laughs> That's yeah. true, yeah. Yeah, so I think maybe we'll get some more inkling of what Varus is maybe either heading towards or what he's already been up to. And Tyrion with Jamie. I'm really looking forward to see how that goes. And especially if, like, we could be completely wrong. You know, Jamie just somehow gets away. I don't see that happening. But like some people, some people posited that it's a r rushing river and he just gets pushed downstream mm -hmm. and comes up, washes upstream. Like we've seen other characters like Davos, just like I will say, I did not consider that at all. That is that seems like more to likely about. for that seems more likely for Bronn than Jamie because of the armor thing. Yeah. And Jamie's like Bronn's wearing light, really light armor, but that's the logistics thing. They might just be like, uh, you know, it happened. He washed up on shore. It's not his armor. It's not as heavy as it looks. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, we we can't just go with what we think is likely because the show sometimes does cheat with those kind of things. So I got to admit that's a possibility. And that would be 
That would be a little odd, but it's entirely possible. Let's go to the north before we go to King's Landing. So Shay's going to pull up the shot of the ravens in front of the army of the dead, which is just really cool. A whole bunch of ravens, which is neat. This isn't just Bran and one raven spying on them. It's a whole crowd of them. And we see this crowd of ravens in a prior shot from the trailer leaving Winterfell. So I guess this is connected. I guess the whole flight of ravens goes north and Bran has them all. And I wonder about the logistics of that. Like, this isn't one of those cheating logistics things. I'm just like, did Bran... They sent the ravens out and then Bran like takes over all of them and makes them go north. I'm kind of curious how they're going to explain that. I don't think it's like bad or anything. I'm just wondering what they're going to do. And we see that shot of him with his white eyes, you know, switching into the ravens. And one of the interesting thing about all these trailer shots of the Walking Dead here, the Walking Dead, is I don't see the giants this time. There's no like large things like there were in that episode one shot. So maybe that's more evidence that that's a shot of the future. Or it's just a budget thing. You're like, well, those giants are more expensive. <laughs> or the forces are split. Okay. Yeah, we some talked about that possibility before. Watch, some are marched toward the main gate. The mm. big, yeah, the big giants coming around the other side of the wall or going for Castle Black. Yeah, that's an interesting possibility. So I wonder, I feel like this is still just going to be a little more of a tease. They're just going to start showing us at the, because it's something they do a lot with this army of the dead. They just like, oh, they're coming. Wait, but not for a few more episodes. Now they're running out of time. They kind of have to do something, but it doesn't have to be this episode. They, they, I think I think we'll see, get this big setup in this episode. John's got to get back there. Bran's got to show us all that. And then episode six and seven is when we get these scenes in the north with with Beric and, and Sandor. So that's something that could happen this episode that they kept secret from us. Maybe we finally get the Brotherhood showing up in the north, either at Eastwash or at Winterfell. We have a super chat from Jay Bombadil. Not sure if you've covered this, but is there any indication in the books that Bran might learn how to show others like John, Daniel, Sansa, his visions, perhaps through simple physical contact, kind of like how the Rolorists show visions through the flames. We also saw physical contact had an impact when the Night King touched Bran. Yeah, that's true. Bran does reach out to John and help open his third eye. John's first major vision comes in Clash of Kings, and it's his first wolf dream, and it's Bran directly talking to him. But it might be just because John has these abilities. That might be the only reason it's possible. It might not be possible for someone like Sansa or Arya. I mean, in the book, book Arya, it should be possible. Maybe even Sansa. But I, I feel like it's possible. But it's not established. I wonder also if John. I know, I'm less sure about how it goes into books. But there's a similar relationship. We, we saw in the show, uh, Bran having wolf dreams, right? He was yes. like in... In summer, yeah. In summer, like running through the woods, whatever. Yes. John gets moments like that too, in right? The books, he gets, yeah. Right? Start, that's the first one he has, is that when Bran like reaches out to him and huh. kind of touches him, he has a dream of the werewood touching him in the third eye spot, like kind of like a. The like, thing I'm like wondering Bran is, himself. how was it affected by John having died and come back? I wonder if he's lost Ooh. some amount of connection with ghosts yeah, good or question. reinforced if it's more powerful than ever. You know? That's a very good question. And with magic, stuff like magic, it's almost impossible to predict. We can only maybe give a range of possibilities without maybe favoring too many of them over the others because it is, yeah, that's a, that's a good call though. The whole John's death interacting with all this magic is, the show hasn't dealt with that too much, but maybe it will start doing that. Maybe like, oh, this isn't working because, and that might be why John has to finally be like, yeah, I was dead. Because Danny still doesn't know that. You know, they kept they still kept that under wraps. And maybe that's gotta come out eventually. And I want I've been thinking about that all season long. Like, I wonder why. Maybe there's a plot reason for them to keep that hidden. Besides I mean, it makes sense that they would not drop all this magic stuff on Danny's head. Be like, Will you believe this too? Believe this too. But there could it could be more than that. It could be like they have a particular moment they have in mind for making it look really cinematic or really meaningful or really climactic, something like that, where they want that reveal to happen. Yeah, I see some people in the chat, like uh, Eliana. Hey, Eliana, how you doing? From Maester Monthly Podcast, shout out to them. Considering that Melisandre and or Makoro may be firewhites as well, but still have visions, uh, maybe that's a, um, an indication that John could still have visions too. That makes sense, yeah. I think that's true, because Melisandre is almost certainly... Uh, she may not have died and come back, but she does seem to fit that firewhite concept of her life is extended through... R'hllor somehow. (laughs) So, yeah, she certainly has a lot of visions, but yeah, uh, that's a good call. Good call. You know, as long as this has come up, uh, I don't know how aware people are out there that Martin made some comment about. I don't think he actually said that Beric was a fire white, but said that he was a white and had been raised by fire as opposed to ice. And people drew a bunch of conclusions based on that, a bunch of theories spun out or whatever. Yeah, it was, Um, uh, it definitely spun the wheels a lot. (laughs) It does make me think, though, of something that Zach brought up when I was on the Game of Owns podcast. The difference between the 
if you do want to call them fire whites, if John is a fire white or Barrick is a fire white or Melisandre or whatever, also fire in general, the fire side of characters in the show, the dragons, right? How they behave compared to ice and north. Yeah. The White Walkers are very slow, deliberate, mm-hmm. silent. Yeah. Whereas the dragons flying around, breathing fire, making a bunch of noise. Just that symbol, symbolic difference of fire and ice and how they're presented in the different sides of characters. Shout out from Miss Arsenal 18X. Hey guys, can you please shout out my little brother who's in the hospital right now? We always watch together, but he's sick today and we'll watch on YouTube later. His name is Daniel Latham from London. Absolutely. Hey, Daniel. Hope you're doing well. Hope you get out of the hospital quickly. Whatever's got you in there. Hopefully it's a brief stay. And thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoy Sunday's episode of actual Game of Thrones as well. (laughs) The hospital is no excuse for not watching us. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much for that, Miss Arsenal. And I hope hope Daniel does well soon. Hopefully he's out of there soon. Another super chat from Nose Kills. Nose Kills. What a name. Hey, that's threatening to me. (laughs) <laughs> I'm worried about that. My nose is, uh, is a big target. If John has to convince Danny to fight against the dead, it doesn't make sense to tell her he died himself. That's, that's kind of a good point, too. You know, it's kind of a, it really kind of muddies the water in that convincing, trying to get that point across. Like, by the way, I'm dead, too. I understand. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I can see that would be a little problematic um, for a couple of reasons. Okay, we are getting a bunch of super chats here. We'll keep it going. From Dornish Dan. Do you think that the zombies will win whatever happens at Eastwatch, if only for a big cliffhanger for next season? Uh, yeah, I, that's a great question, and yes. I think a resounding yes. Maybe not this episode, but probably. Yeah. What do you think? I, I kind of think so, too. I think that's where this is going. I think it. we're building to the moment when the world's got to see what John sees, and that's going to help him do it if the White Walkers cross the wall. Yeah, yeah, I think that's got to start happening, and I think that maybe those shots of John running around with his companions might be in the north, not beyond the wall. I think at this point that's very likely, because if first of all, if, they, if they're able to hold them at Eastwatch, why are they going beyond the wall? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I feel like these scenes are happening in the actual north, like they've broken into the north and it's getting dangerous. Super chat from Lindsay Prior. Hopefully I said that right. Sean, you were great on Game of Thrones. Love the thought of the Golden Company getting involved by attacking Danny's strongholds in Essos. They could mention it without having to show it on screen. Yeah, it could be like one line, one of those one line of dialogue things. That was the thing I was pondering about the name Eastwatch that maybe has some meanings beyond the castle Eastwatch. Usually the titles have multiple different interpretations. And so maybe something happening over in Essos could be connected to Eastwatch. Maybe something Melisandre does or something a gold company does. Some threat to Dario or one of the cities that Danny has already saved and freed slaves. What if it gets lost again? Where would her attention go at that point? Yeah, you know? that's, a, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, all right. looks like we've broken. We've cracked a 500 viewers barrier. That's awesome. Thank you all very much. Thanks for attending. Thanks for hitting the like button. Thanks for supporting History of Westeros, and all the other wonderful shows that we consider friends, like Game of Owns, we've mentioned, and we've got, we've got, actually got, I've got shout-outs prepared for a bunch of different shows at the end of this episode, because that's how we roll. We are a community, as much as we are a fandom. Okay, um, yeah, let's move on. Uh, Euron, I want to mention briefly, because he wasn't really, he hasn't been seen much. I mean, he obviously did his sneak attack on the Unsullied Chips, He's near home at this point, and Pike is, you know, popping up on the opening crawl. So maybe we get a brief, hey, what's Euron up to? Maybe a two-minute scene. Hopefully it's not torturing Yara. If it is, hopefully it's just verbal torture, like he's talking to her. No, like, physical torture. <laughs> we still need more torture. <laughs> as likely as it seems. We just, yeah, we've, we've been there, done that. So, but I, got, I guess they got to kind of keep, his eye, keep an eye on him. What he's up to. Maybe he's has a talk with Cersei. You know, that's got to come up again, I guess. Say Danny has Jamie. And Jamie bends the knee. Say that I, I feel it's unlikely, but just imagine that Tyrion convinces Jamie to bend the knee. Maybe you know, Jamie haven't seen what the dragons can do, contemplating how uneasy he is with Cersei in the first place. The idea of being able to reunite with his brother, on and on and on. Maybe Cersei's like, "All right, fine, I'm marrying Euron." <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. That's that, this. This may make the actual marriage more likely. Euron might be like, "Hey." Things are falling apart. Maybe he's gives him some more leverage for negotiation. With uh, it's like, you better marry me, or maybe I'll switch sides. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good angle for him to pursue. the The question is whether he'll even come back to King's Landing at this point, or maybe he's going to do some other thing. We talked about the possibility of now maybe he could attack Old Town when Old Town was, you know, had when the Reach declared for Cersei under Tarly. You know, why would Euron attack the Reach? Because they're allies. But now, yeah. if they flip back to Danny, if Randall's burned and Dickon is like, bends the knee, then 
that opens up the possibility for urine to do something like that. So we've got to keep that idea on the table. I'm not sure we can say much more about it other than that it's a possibility. And we do have Sam and Gilly. So Old Town's going to be in this episode, but it doesn't show. It's certainly not an action scene. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, that, that reminds me, by the way, possible Jorah shows up in Dragon's yeah. this episode. You're right, Jorah. Which great mm-hmm. possible reunions. He hasn't interacted with... I guess he's anyway, obviously Danny. Like and, and, right, but... This um, season, yeah. Yeah, but it's been a while since he has, but he's never met John. Never. Who's going to have his dad's sword. I have a feeling Jorah won't get there till after John leaves, just so they can not have to deal with that because of time constraints. But yeah. if they if he does, that's real interesting. Yeah, because we talked about how Jorah would have a lot to be jealous of John over, you know, yeah. all these things that are he could one up him on or two up him in some cases. I got your sword, you know. I got the North, blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, I, I died. You only had grayscale, blah blah blah. <laughs> um, so let's go to King's Landing. Ashea's got this great shot of Cersei gazing out the window. People have interpreted this gaze a number of ways. Some people think she looks happy. Some think she looks. Some people think she looks downcast. I think she looks ambivalent. I don't think you can really t- make a read here. I'm not really sure. When I saw it, I thought that she looked distressed. That's that's the. Well, but I saw in an image with someone describing it as her looking pleased and like, oh, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. And I have seen <laughs> many other responses and opinions on it, so I'm less sure. But my default, my instinct was that she looked distressed, which. Getting news of Jamie and his battle might make her distressed, but who knows when this scene is coming, when she gets that news. Yeah. I see some other people in the chat saying, giving well wishes for Daniel. That's great. Showing showing off the strength of our community here. I wonder, yeah, okay, she gets this line. Whatever stands in our way, we will defeat it. Is this her, like, standing up to bad news again? You know, like, finding out about Jamie or finding out about, obviously, like, maybe she doesn't find out what happens with Jamie, but surely she's got to hear about the battle. Because especially given where it appears to happen, at least somewhere near King's Landing, maybe not right there, like you couldn't see it in the distance or anything, but you know, closer than. Given Randall said, get these over the, get these trains or these wagons over the Blackwater Rush. You know, Blackwater Rush is near King's Landing, so Cersei doesn't reveal much. Lena Headey doesn't reveal much. That's part of her character is to have this stone face, and that it's such masterful acting when we can interpret an emotion through her stone face. So it makes sense to have a hard time interpreting this. Additionally, what makes sense to me is that she gets this news, and in public, she stands strong. Mm-hmm. But then she withdraws in private and reveals some sadness. You right know. on. Super chat from Jasmine B. No question, just thanking you guys and Ashea for your hard work. Always look forward to your content on and off season. Well, thank you very much, Jasmine. We appreciate that, and we'll keep it coming. Here's a question from Jane Gray. If Cersei repays the Iron Bank in full, do they have any reason to support her anymore? They no longer have a vested interest in a Lannister's success after she makes her payment and could pay or could back a more likely winner. Or they could back no one. They could just be like, remember, they said they operate on arithmetic. And if the arithmetic says, we don't know who's going to win. Or if the arithmetic says, it looks like Danny's going to win and we don't want to back her because of cultural reasons, then they may just stand down. I agree. That's entirely possible. Or if the cost of backing is greater than the payment after the fact, if Westeros is ravaged after the fact that, you know, they invest a bunch of money for this person to win, then they win and all the value has been lost. Yeah. They do have the value of giving Cersei new loans with large interest rate so that's some value but if she can't pay them back if the fields are burned the crops are dead the people are revolting you know what i mean like even if she wins is she gonna have enough resources after the win to pay the iron bank back this is one of danny's concerns she knows she can just go in and slaughter everyone and take over but then what is it she's won you know she wants to rule after the fact not just defeat everybody yeah yeah another that's that's a good point yeah so i think that's entirely possible i think the, the bank we shouldn't take it for granted that they're going to continue to support Cersei. They may have shadier things in mind, or they may just decide it's a bad investment. We'll it, see. It does make you wonder why they bother bringing a golden company up, though, if, if it's not going to come into play. That's a good point. And I really hope the gold company comes into play. I've really got my fingers crossed for that, that, that it's not just a few lines of dialogue. Super chat from Lash Fitty K. Do you think Cersei may choose power over Jamie, and will that be the thing that breaks them finally? I do think if it came down to power or Jamie, she would choose power. And it does seem like it might be going that way. Although I don't know that she's going to end up with either. <laughs> in the long run, I think she'll yeah. get, she'll end up dead. but uh, Or exiled or something. I don't know. Probably dead. But, yeah. I think that she might make a decision in the heat of the moment for power over Jamie. But she would regret it after the fact. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And it'll be so hard for her to deal with. She's just, just pushing back so many of these feelings about her children. And now if it's this on top of that, like having to just 
not think too much about Jamie. Yeah, that's just... I can see why that would make her even madder as a queen. So we've got two different mad queens going on. <laughs> so we have... O'Shea is going to show us a shot of Sam and Gilly. As you can see here, it's a fairly mundane shot. But it does reveal that they'll be in this episode. And that by itself means something. I don't know what they could be talking about. They've got these books here. I feel like it's just more research into Dragonglass or Valyrian Steel or The Long Night. One of those just big overarching topics that the other characters are dealing with. Something to fit in with that. You know, he's done the grayscale thing. I don't think we, I don't, I think that's in the past. So I think now he's, I, I guess we'll get maybe some hint of what he's finding in those old books that he was told to, to deal with. That might come up. Um, it's a great tool for them to give us as an audience information. It's a, it's yeah. a really good way. I love it, yeah. Something that even came up in the, uh, the podcast with Game of Owns was the idea, because we were speculating, you guys are going to do a whole episode on it, but speculating on all the symbols in the cave. Sam could open up a book, boom, with all these symbols in it. And he could like, oh, yeah. it looks like there's going to be a constellation on the fourth moon of the whatever, whatever, you know. And like, <laughs> some clue is something going on with magic in the world or the Nightwalkers or something. So I'll, I will go throw another reminder out there. Tomorrow, it's going to be 3 p.m. The event isn't posted yet because we can only have one live stream posted at a time. So as, as soon as this event's over, Shay is going to post tomorrow's episode, which will be 3 p.m. Eastern Standard, 7 p.m. Uh, uh, GMT. And our guest is LML, who is in the chat right now, I believe. He's getting hype. Yep, there it is. <laughs> and of course, you, you guys, no one should be surprised that who knows LML's podcast at all, that he has plenty to say about the symbols. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. It'll be a live stream so you guys can bring your questions for him and for me and for all of us. And that'll be a lot of fun as we get ready for episode five. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. It was a really great turnout, again, for these fun Saturday streams where we like to have this kind of laid-back discussion feel where you guys are joining in with the comments and questions, and we're all just enjoying this together, enjoying the awesome fun that is Game of Thrones season. Even if you don't love the episodes, the camaraderie and the community is really fun, despite what you think of the show itself. So that is the saving grace no matter what. And if you like the show too, like we do, like very few complaints for the most part, relative to how many things we praise, just all become so awesome. And that gives us lots of energy and vitality for continuing to have lots of great discussions going forward. So let us give a few thanks. Um, Sean, did you have any final thoughts? I don't think so. I think I got all of my, got it all out of my system. All right, then, Sean. We'll see you again on Monday for show only review of Eastwatch. We'll see a lot of the rest of you tomorrow for the live stream with LML. Again, that's at three p.m. and a couple of shout outs for helpers. Thanks. In particular to, again, our multi-talented, multifaceted, multitasker Ashea running production and making sure it all runs smoothly. Thanks to Michael Klarfeld for the video intro. Check out claradox.de. The man is working on more awesome maps. We've got these things. He's doing maps for the Iron Islands right now. They're so awesome. He's using so much detail. He's, he's doing our kind of research, the kind of research that makes us proud, looking for any kind of detail he could find about the terrain of the different individual Iron Islands, which there's a lot of Iron Islands, so that's, that's, a, that's a lot of work, and there's not a lot been said about them in that regard, so he's really digging deep. He's also connecting a lot of characters and stories to the map also. That's true, yeah, and some of, and he's, and he's, he's getting some people to uh, be models for some of these Iron Islands <laughs> figures, including us, people who have beards, so that's a lot of fun. Thanks also to Joey Townsend for the music, Jesse Koal for the outro music covering Joey Townsend's music, which is awesome. If you're listening to the podcast version and expected to hear your question answered, the podcast version is shorter than, you know, the Saturday podcast versions are always shorter and it's true for Monday and Wednesday as well because of time constraints regarding editing. But the live stream is preserved in its entirety on YouTube. So if you didn't hear your question answered, check out YouTube. Sometimes I take the excess questions that I couldn't fit in the main podcast version and post them on Patreon as a bonus you can have access to that for a dollar a month. I did that twice this week already because some of these shows have been really running long. Y'all have a lot of questions and we rather than not answer the questions, we just answer them and kind of preserve them in different ways that we can because some of these episodes are getting really long, which you guys like, but that does create production issues for us. So we'll, we're trying to strike that balance. So check that out if you are so inclined. So today... I pulled some shout-outs, not from just regular patrons. I pulled shout-outs from patrons who are also creators in the community. That includes bloggers like Brendan Beefish and Lord Jim the Fortuitous. That's the Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog. 
Uh, Lord Jim also has his own podcast called To Wage War, which is a very enthusiastic look at some lesser known battles from a variety of time periods and places. Sir Adam Whitehead, also known as Werthead, he has the Atlas of Ice and Fire blog, which is a lot of Song of Ice and Fire history, not just history of the in-world stuff, but history of the publications and the books and all the different covers that have happened, like the history of George R. R. Martin. Lots of really cool, both right on point and meta analysis. Adam's a great guy. Also, we have uh, one of our supporters is Archmaster Civilization X. Civilization X makes a lot of great short videos on a variety of fandoms, not just Game of Thrones. He does Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, other cool stuff, really tight presentations. Podcast Winterfeld is a call-in show, which is a really cool way for people to interact with podcasters and to get, you know, your voice heard on episodes. They do a great job. We've known them for a long time. Uh, Vanessa of House Cole, the color bringer. That's Vanessa Cole, who has an artist site. She does a lot of great um, Game of Thrones art and other things. And that's vkart.com. I believe I got that right. We've got a li- we've got links for it up on the supporters page, just in case I got that wrong. Alt-Shift-X, who is probably the most famous Game of Thrones YouTuber. He gets regularly gets a million views on some of his videos. He is... He's right. known for tight, really tight, really well-made videos. His his slogan is, is uh, simple explanations. He, he really breaks down things and, and makes them understandable, which for Game of Thrones, let's be honest, that needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Radio Westeros, of course. Uh, we have them every Wednesday, and we're both patron supporters of each other. Mythical Astronomy Vice and Fire, again, that's who's on tomorrow for live stream. We're both patron supporters of each other. Podcast de Juelo y Fuego, that is Podcast of Ice and Fire in Spanish language, and they are the only Spanish language podcast that I'm aware of. In fact, they're the only non-English language uh, Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire podcast I'm aware of. If there's others, please let me know. I don't want to, I'm not, you know, I haven't done a lot of research on that. I'm just well aware of Podcast de Hielo y Fuego. Also, uh, thanks to Queen Cersei Real, who's a Twitter account doing uh, fun Twitter uh, political satire, good stuff. Also, thanks to Game of Owns, of course. They come up uh, several times in this episode. Good friends of ours who also we support each other on on uh, Patreon. And, of course, last but not least, the best acronym of any Game of Thrones podcast slash production behind the Iron Throne, whose initials are BTIT. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So there, And we're also supporting each other on Patreon. So lots of love in the community, lots of back and forth support. Not very much competition. That's not how we do things. We, uh, we help each other out. We make things better, and we learn from each other. And the Behind the Iron Thrones have Michael Jackson in mind when they made Beat It. (laughs) (laughs) Beat It. Good one. That's a good one. But also, that's a good sign that it's time to end. So, thanks again, everybody. Valar rewatch us. Valar reread us. Enjoy Eastwatch tomorrow night. We'll be back on Monday for another live stream at 7 p.m. And of course, tomorrow for Who's for Means Life for your live stream. On behalf of Shea and Sean, I'm Aziz. 